All right, we're going to be in Matthew 21 today, continuing through the book of Matthew. If you've got a Bible or an app, please open up to Matthew 21. I'll be reading and preaching from the ESV version today. <clears throat> so this is the last week of Jesus' life, right? It started right here um, in Matthew chapter one, 21. This is all leading up to the cross. Remember, <clears throat> Jesus, just the day before, so we looked at it last week, went into the temple appalled at what he saw. And he began throwing over tables as he yelled at the chief priests and the scribes, you have made my father's house into a den of thieves, but my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. And then he goes to Bethany and he spends the night. And now this is the next morning. He's walking back into the city. That's where we pick it up. Matthew 21, verse 18. It says, in the morning, he was returning to the city. And he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Title of this sermon is, Are We Figging or Faking It? Can Can we pray together? Man, so cool, Lord, that there was faithful men who recorded things you did and said, Jesus. And we want to get everything that we're supposed to out of the things that you said. The disciples got something. They had a certain context they were working with. And we don't have that same context. So we ask, Lord, you'd open, expand our horizons, open our eyes to to grasp and get everything that you have for us, your church. Thank you that you love us. You are our Father who says, I want to sit by the fire with you and tell you of who I am and who you are. (laughs) Do that, Lord, in our lives this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Zach preached about angry Jesus, right? And how Jesus was, went into the temple and he was, Mad, He was angry because of what the chief priests and scribes had brought, had brought in these, uh, these money changers who were preventing people from doing what God had intended them to do, namely to commune with and worship him. This was the temple that Jesus went into. This was the place where worship and communion with God happened. And these guys, the chief priests and the scribes, had brought in these money changers who were not only setting up shop in the place where worship was supposed to be taking place, and not only were they preventing the nations from even coming to worship God, but they were making people pay for their own atonement. They had let greed get in the way of what really mattered. And when we look at the whole of the gospel accounts, we see that it wasn't just greed that was getting in the way with these religious leaders. There was actually a much deeper fundamental problem among the leaders of Israel. And this is what Jesus is going to call out here as we'll kind of see this. It's like a living parable, so to speak, that Jesus will use to illustrate this problem among the leaders of Israel. And the problem is this. Religiosity without personal abiding faith in Jesus always leads to spiritual barrenness. For thousands of years, God had been revealing himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his people. Eventually, we'd call him Israel. And every part of God revealing himself, everything he did in the country and in their lives was all pointing to this one future event 
that would come, the coming of the Messiah, Son of God, Son of Man, Savior of the world, Redeemer of Israel. And now Israel's here. They're here. The Messiah has showed up. The one they've been waiting for is finally here. And he is changing the landscape of their entire country. I mean, sick people are getting healed, like miraculously. Dead people are getting raised from the dead, miraculously. The lost are being found. Sinners and outcasts are being brought in and being loved on. You would think that this is everything they would have wanted for their countrymen. They should have been rejoicing over this, but something was awry because that is not how they were responding to the work and person of Jesus. See in our two verses today that Jesus is having this interaction with a fig tree, right? Fig trees have always had a significant importance in, uh, in Israel. Fig trees grew where no other fig trees or no other trees would normally grow, like on the side of the road, like we see right here. And they would often grow by themselves. You know, usually you see trees growing in like an orchard. These would just grow by themselves. And so they were viewed at as a sign of favor from God. A fig tree was like a sign of favor from God, and they were. And so it's important for us to grasp this and grasp the significance of the fig tree in Israel because the disciples who were here this day with Jesus would have gotten the significance of the fig tree thing. Throughout the Old Testament, we see fig trees being significant in these ways. They were a symbol of prosperity for Israel, the fig trees were. A fig tree was a symbol of security for Israel. And the, the, the fig tree was a symbol of Israel as a people in general, God would use to talk about Israel. In Jeremiah 24, God shows Jeremiah this vision and in the vision, there's two baskets of fig tree, or figs. One of them is ripe, sweet figs for eating. The other one is rotten figs that are so rotten you can't eat them. And God says that this was a picture of the remnant of Israel. He says, so I will bring some of the remnant in like a basket of sweet figs. And some I will cast out like a basket of rotten figs. And so it was a sign of judgment upon Israel when God would strike the fruit of the fig tree. We see this again in passages like Jeremiah 8:13 when God says, "I will surely consume them," says the Lord. "No grapes shall be on the vine, no figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade, and the things I have given them shall pass away from them." And so it should be no surprise to us that when Jesus stops to kind of act out this living parable in order to illustrate what was happening in Israel, that he would use a fig tree to do it. As we talked about a second ago, uh, Jesus, just in the beginning of this chapter, went in and cleansed the temple, right? And it was during Passover. He went in during Passover, cleansed the temple, throwing over tables. But did you know that this wasn't the first time that Jesus had done that? If you look back in John chapter 2, all the way back at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we see a very similar thing happen with Jesus in the temple at Passover, and we're pretty sure it's not the exact same event because it's the first time John mentions Passovers of multiple times that he mentions them in his gospel. And now we're here exactly three years later and Jesus just did it again. With that in mind, let's look at this parable that Jesus taught back in Luke 13. It's going to be up on the screen. And Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. 
And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I have been coming seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The king, Jesus, had already come to his temple, his vineyard, so to speak, one time, and he found only the facade of fruitfulness, but there was no fruit. And so he cleansed the temple back in John chapter 2, three years ago. And then, here we are, three years later, and he came back looking for fruit on his fig tree, so to speak, but still he found none. Jesus came expecting faith in himself and instead was greeted by the religious leaders with opposition and unbelief. And so this persistently barren fig tree is about to be cut down. This was the Passover time, right? So it was, it was springtime. Now spring wasn't like normally a time when figs would grow on fig trees. And Jesus would have known this. So he couldn't have been expecting much. But he was obviously expecting something. And you could expect something. Often, most times, there was something, some kind of fruit that would come over from the winter still. Would be hanging out in the springtime. Or there would be like early kind of immature, smaller fruit. Something. Jesus was expecting there to be something. I got a question. Why did Jesus keep going back to the temple? It's like, dude, you went in. They're jacked up. They're making a mess of this whole thing. Why do you keep going back? Why not just stay out with your people who are listening to you and honoring you and worshiping you and you're healing and it's all this good stuff going on? Why, why go back? Well, man, this, the temple was his father's house. It was his father's house. It was important to him. It was the center of Israel's worship and communion with God. And so, like he was hopeful to find figs on this actual fig tree. It's like he kept seeing leaves with the religious leaders and the religious system. And like, oh, there's leaves. There's leaves. And it's like he's coming, hopeful, looking for fruit on the fig tree. But all he saw was religion. That was nothing more than a mere outward promise of fruitfulness. But there was no spiritual fruit. It was all fig leaves with no figs. So Jesus looks at this tree full of fig leaves but bearing no figs. And he curses it in verse 19 and says, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. It's pretty gnarly, right? This was a symbol of Jesus' condemnation of the Jewish leaders who rejected him when he came to them. Man, this was the most privileged generation of all generations of Israel. It was to them that the Messiah had come. And yet they would not believe on him. And so their opportunity to bear fruit as a nation would be lost on them. Later, in verse 43 of this same chapter, we're going to see, Jesus will expound a bit on this as he'll explain in a parable saying, Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And given to a people producing its fruits. Listen, mere religiosity without genuine abiding faith in Jesus may look good before men. But it, is, it produces nothing but spiritual barrenness. And this was the case for much of Israel. But here's my question for us today. And this is where I want to spend the bulk of our time. What are we doing? 
We see what Israel was doing. What are we doing? Are we figging it or faking it? Are we like the people of Israel in the time of Jesus who say all of the right stuff and even do a bunch of the right things, but who are really just a facade of true spiritual fruitfulness? Or are we bearing fruit that looks, smells, and tastes like Jesus? Because leaves come, yes, and they look good. But fruit always follows the leaves, even if it's just some immature fruit. Fruit always follows the leaves. So my question is, what fruit is hanging on your branches right now? What fruit is hanging on your branches? Is it, is it love or is it selfishness? Is it patience or is it frustration? Is it gentleness and grace or bitterness and judgment? Is it freedom or is it bondage? Is it the peace that comes from surrender and trust or is it the anxiety that comes from fear? What fruit is hanging on your tree right now? Speaking of fruit, if you have a Bible, can you turn to John 15 or swipe to John 15? It'll be up on the screen as well. And as we go to John 15, as we read John 15, there's just one question that I want an answer for as we read the words of Jesus in John 15. And here's the question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for an answer after I ask the question, so be prepared to participate here. The question is, how do we bear spiritual fruit? And then the answer will be by fill in the blank. Okay, John 15, starting in verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I want to ask, ask three questions. I want to ask how, why, and what. But first, the how, right? We are the branches. Jesus is the vine. So that question, how do we, the branches, bear spiritual fruit? By abiding in Jesus. By abiding in Jesus, the vine. In other words, remaining connected to and dependent on Jesus. How do we bear spiritual fruit? By abiding in Jesus, remain connected, dependent on him. Jesus said it right here. A branch cannot bear fruit on its own. It must abide in the vine. Listen, some of us are spending so much time trying to bear fruit. Trying to do good and perform righteous tasks thinking that it will somehow have the same effect or fragrance as the fruit that comes from abiding in Jesus. But it doesn't. It can't because that kind of fruit only comes from abiding in Jesus, remaining connected to and dependent on Jesus. And there's some people here today who are in danger of doing exactly what the religious leaders were doing. We've taken our ideas about God's words and we've made them to be gospel. 
And these ideas rule our lives. And then we think we have the right to require other people to live up to our self-made measuring rod. Meanwhile, we have forgotten the greatest law, which is love. And while we sit in our judgment seat, our life bears little fruit that tastes like Jesus. Listen, if that's you today, I'm begging you, man, turn from that. Otherwise, you're going to end up like these religious leaders in Israel 2,000 years ago. A people with this leafy profession, but where Jesus found nothing but hypocrisy. They had the appearance of holiness, but on the inside they were dry. They were dying or dead. They were like Jesus would call them whitewashed tombs. Pretty on the outside, dead on the inside. Listen, you were made for more than that. You were made for more than that. God's heart is for you then to come home today. Come home today. You don't have to live in that place where you're bitter and angry all the time. He loves you like he did Israel. And he has made a way for you to come home to grace like he did for Israel. You know, this story right here, Matthew 21, is about Jesus pronouncing a curse on this barren tree that represents his people. But six days from now, Jesus will become a curse on a different tree where he will give his life for his people. And he'll do it to redeem his people. Jesus did it to redeem his people. He hung on this cursed tree so that he could come back around to this cursed tree and say, hey, you couldn't do it, Israel. You couldn't do it. You messed the whole thing up. You bore no fruit of righteousness, but I could do it. And I did do it. And what you could never do according to the law, I have done in fulfilling the law. Jesus made a way for even this cursed fig tree in Matthew 21 to be redeemed. And he has made a way for us to come back home also to grace today. So come home, if that's you, to grace today. All right, back to this abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit. And the how, the why, and the what. If you told me, hey, Dom... Dude, I'm not really seeing a lot of spiritual fruit in my life. Or I'm seeing some, but it's kind of inconsistent or it's not very, like, potent. It's not very flavorful. I would have, like, three questions to try to get to the bottom of it if we were trying to answer what was happening there. So I want to ask these three questions. If you're saying here today, yeah, dude, I just, I'm not seeing as much fruit as I want. I'm not as potent as I want to be. Or I ain't seeing no fruit at all. I'm just dry. Here's the questions I'd ask. First question is, have you stopped abiding maybe in Jesus? Have you stopped abiding in Jesus? I'm not bearing fruit. Have you stopped abiding in Jesus? Have you maybe drifted away from him in some way? Has something maybe in your life ripped you away from him and you haven't come back to him? Maybe you've started looking for something else, to something else, or someone else for your source instead of Jesus. Where are you finding your joy? What's the source of it? Where are you finding your, your life? Where are you finding your drive from? Is it a source other than Jesus? Listen, if you've stopped abiding, today is the day that you take a step. Just take a step back toward Jesus. Don't waste your life trying to pop out pretty little fig leaves that do no good when God has this orchard of fruitfulness waiting for you. Now, some of you are saying, okay, dude, I hear that. But how exactly do I abide? What does this mean? Well, you connect, depend, and remain. 
How do you abide? You connect, depend, and remain. First of all, you connect. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Like a branch connected to the vine, we connect with Jesus. How? Man, the same way that you connect with a person. We, we talk, we listen, we get in each other's presence, right? If I want to connect with my wife, I get into her presence, get into her space. So we get into the presence of God, man, begin adoring him with, take a time of your life and your day to like worship him. Let that be a, a, a pattern and a rhythm of your life where you adore him and you press into him and you get into his presence. For me, I practice something I just call silent prayer. Where I just sit before the Lord and like focus my attention right on him and don't try to do anything. I don't try to say anything. I don't try to think anything. I just like allow myself to be still and know that he is God. For me, it's going to, to prayer meetings. That's how I get in, in his presence sometimes. Our prayer meetings, hey, if you're not going to our Wednesday night prayer meetings, you are missing out. I kind of don't want to say that out loud because it's like this cool little secret thing that's just like really awesome right now. But I'm just telling you, I'm just going to be generous with my knowledge that it is so good right now. God is meeting us. Man, that's one of the ways I just get into God's presence. Man, I spend time praying with him. Hey, take some time in your life where you're just like, here's just 10 minutes where I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to talk to him. Some of you say, dude, I try that, bro, but I fall asleep every time. Listen, listen, I've never got mad at one of my kids for falling asleep talking to me. Right? Like God ain't going to get mad at you. You crawl up on his lap and just start talking to him and fall asleep. He's like, oh, that's cute, right? Like just start talking to him. Just start doing it. The other way we connect is by filling our hearts with God's truth. Do you realize that the word of God is nourishment for the soul? Just start getting into the word of God. Just get in. Some of you say, dude, I, ah. but every time I read, I, don't, I read the Bible yesterday, dude. I don't even remember what I, I read. Listen, I don't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, but I know it nourished me. Right? Just get it in you. Connect with Jesus. Secondly, we depend. We depend on Jesus. Jesus said the branch cannot bear fruit on its own. The branch is dependent on the vine. To depend on Jesus means that we recognize him as the source of all life and fruitfulness. Listen, Jesus did all that needed to be done for us to have all that we need for life and godliness. So we can just entrust ourselves and depend on him. We can trust him and depend on him to be our provider and to be our good shepherd who leads us in the right way. We can trust him to be our source of peace. And our source of power, we can trust him. We can depend on him. To depend on Jesus means that we trust, surrender, and submit to the one who is the source of everything that we need. Connect with him. We depend on him. And then we remain. It's the third thing. The word abide here in John 15 literally means to remain in. We connect with, we depend on Jesus, yes. But we remain connected and dependent. Jesus said, a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but it must remain in me to bear fruit. What that means is that we choose to keep on depending, keep on connecting, keep on pushing to him. We choose to keep re 
recalibrating our minds to have the mind of Christ, right? You can get a lot of different ways. Keep recalibrating your mind. We choose to keep reorienting our lives around the person, work, and will of Jesus. We choose to keep reminding ourselves that it is him who does the work of fruit bearing in our lives. And we remind ourselves that Jesus worked hard on the cross so we could stop striving and rest in him and let the fruit come. Stop striving, guys. Jesus worked so hard on the cross so we could just rest. So we could rest. Don't make a mockery of his hard, gnarly work on the cross by trying to work to abide or to bear fruit. Jesus did all the work so that we could just abide. And then we should see this type of fruit coming out. We should expect to see fruit like this, love and joy Humility. Doesn't this fruit look like it tastes good? Forgiveness, patience, kindness. Fruit that uh, looks like believing the best about one another. Hoping the best about one another. Gentleness, selflessness, honesty, having self-control. Listen, guys, this is not a to-do list. Some of y'all looking at this like, oh, man. Yeah, that one's kind of hard for me. I better work on that. That's not what this is. This is not a to-do list. This is a byproducts list. That's what this is. This is a byproducts list. When Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. This is the kind of stuff that he was talking about. This is not something we should try to muster up. This is something we should expect to see as a result of abiding in Jesus. And if you're not seeing it, then I would go back and ask that question. Have you maybe stopped abiding in Jesus? The other question I would ask if you're not seeing a whole lot of fruit is, are you resisting the work of the vine dresser? Are you resisting the work of the vine dresser? Dresser. So I was thinking this week about the different things that cause us to stop bearing fruit or to bear little fruit or not real potent fruit. I realized that I always kind of breeze over the vine dresser in, right here in John 15 on my way to getting to Jesus, the vine. But the vine dresser, man, he's the gardener. What he does is essential to the fruitfulness of a tree or a vineyard. But you know what he does? He uses shears to do his work. Sometimes he has to pick things up and move them around and put them in like, uncomfortable situations, and nobody likes being in uncomfortable situations. But you know what I've probably seen just as often that's a cause of people not bearing fruit, just as much as people not abiding, is people resisting or avoiding the work of the vine dresser. The truth is God often uses sharp, painful, uncomfortable situations to accomplish his will in our lives. My family has encountered some sharp shears over the last few years. We're in the middle of dealing with one right now. And what we realize is that the vine dresser often uses those sharp shears to accomplish his perfect pruning in us. Sometimes the most beautiful fruit comes out of the most painful pruning. But listen, in order to actually get like the full effect of that, you have to not avoid or resist 
the work of the vine dresser. And that is the hard part because nobody likes sharp objects cutting away at them. It is in our DNA to resist painful stuff or uncomfortable stuff, certainly emotionally uncomfortable stuff. And so when those shears show up in our lives in the form of some kind of difficult thing, whether it's a result of our own actions or it's just a result of this fallen world that we live in, we don't see a loving, fatherly, divine vine dresser who wants to use those shears to accomplish his beautiful, perfect purpose. What we see is sharp, cutting edges. And we're like, those? I know what those do. Those lead to pain, which inevitably leads to a lifetime of trying to get better from it. And I ain't got time for that. So we resist or avoid it altogether. But sometimes right there in that process is where you're missing God the most. You're like, I got to get to there. And he's like, no, I'm right here though. I'm right here. But no, no, no. This is just a, I just got to get to the bit better. And he's like, no, I'm here. This is where I'm at. Don't you want where I am? Because maybe, guys, just maybe the father isn't like Edward Scissorhands who is all clumsy and like accidentally cutting stuff that shouldn't be cut and accidentally making people bleed that don't have to bleed. Maybe your father is an infinitely wise vine dresser who knows how to use the sharpest situations to trim you into a tree that makes you more beautiful and fruitful than you could ever imagine. So then what if instead of running from the pruning and looking for the path of least resistance and just trying to self-preserve We like opened up and said, all right, Lord, I trust that you know best. And I'm going to lean in. I'm going to lean into this pruning. I'm not going to go like that. I'm going to just, okay, Lord, I trust you. I know it might hurt a little. I'm just going to trust you, the divine vine dresser in my life. Third question I would ask if you weren't bearing fruit or you didn't like the way it looked (laughs) is I would ask, were you ever really connected to the vine? In the first place? Or have you maybe been like these religious leaders of Israel? Is it possible, just asking here, that you have had the appearance of a leafy tree, but that's it? Could it be that maybe you have created for yourself this image of Christianity with these parameters that if stuck in with those parameters, you stay in those parameters, you have this appearance of a relationship with Jesus without actually having an abiding, abiding relationship with Jesus. Let me say this. If you've never experienced the power of God in your life before, I'm not going to claim I know exactly why, but I will claim to know that when there's no power, it's always because something has been, often, something has been disconnected from the, the source, right, from the power source. And so I would say, man, that's you. Get back to that source. You need to be connected to the source. So then, how do we get to or get back to the source? We abide. We abide. We take all of that energy that we were using, trying to do good and do better and be better and live righteously and self-preserve and keep up the appearance, and we put it into abiding in Jesus. We take all that energy, we put it into abiding in Jesus. Jesus said it, the fruit comes from the abiding. Abide in me and you will bear much fruit. He didn't say, 
try to bear fruit and you'll bear fruit. He said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. He said, stop working trying to abide or trying to bear fruit. That's not where the action is. The action is in the abiding. You ever seen an orange branch on an orange tree just like working? Just like, yeah. To like, nah, man, here's what, here's what orange branches do on the orange tree. This is abiding. And then all of a sudden, right? They just start popping out fruit. Ain't nobody, ain't no working all hard. They're just abiding. The action is in the abiding, not in the bearing of fruit. The work is in the abiding. Bearing fruit is the byproduct of the abiding. So that's the how. How do we bear spiritual fruit? Well, we abide in Jesus. How do we abide in Jesus? We connect, depend, and remain on him. But here's the key. Here, this is key. Once you're bearing fruit, your fig tree is figging. You must take the next step. The next step is what do we do with that fruit? But before we get to the what, let's answer the question briefly here. Why? Why do we bear the fruit in the first place? Why do we bear spiritual fruit? Let me ask you a question. What is the primary purpose of a fruit tree? It's like that, right? To bear fruit. Is it, is it to look pretty? Because the fruit looks pretty. No. If God had just intended a fruit tree to look pretty, then he wouldn't have made it to bear fruit. Certainly not edible fruit. The point of fruit trees bearing edible fruit is so they can bring nourishment to those who eat them. God intended fruit trees to bear fruit in order to satisfy the hungry of those who were hungry. Listen, church. God is producing good stuff in our family of believers right now. During the the church update last month, we talked about how we were in this like pruning season as a church. And how while pruning can be hard, it is necessary for healthy fruit to grow. Well, I just got to say, man, like there's some healthy fruit growing. God, God is on the move in people's lives. It's like he's watering the soil. And then he's like shining his sunlight on us. And he's, he's pouring himself out. His life and his, his love and his power is raining down on us. And sh- little shoots are popping up and fruit is popping out. I mean, husbands are getting right with God and it's bearing the fruit of repentance toward their wives. Friends are speaking truth to one another and relationships are being reconciled because of it. Daughters are dealing with hurt from their fathers and bitterness is being broken. People are following Jesus to take crazy steps to go places, do things that are crazy and seem irresponsible but are exactly where God wants them. People like Garrett, his family, are being called to the nations, experiencing the heart of God and then obeying him. Listen, little elementary kids are experiencing God for the first time and are getting born again. Straight up. God is moving. I, I don't get to be everywhere all at the same time, but in the circles that I do get to be in, God's doing stuff. There's fruit that's popping up. And we should rejoice in this. And we do. But here's the deal. When we see this good fruit in our lives, we must remember that God working in our lives is always bigger than just God working in our lives. It's so easy, listen to me, please. It's so easy to get excited and consumed with me and forget that I am a part of something bigger 
than me. Why do we bear spiritual fruit? Because it looks pretty? No. To satisfy the hunger of the hungry. Let me say it like this. Spiritual fruit in our lives is not intended to stay on our trees. Spiritual fruit in our lives is for the spiritual nourishment of those around us. This is Christianity 101, guys. But some of us are like fifth-year seniors who actually never took this course. And we need to just take a little quick, just a little quick crash course. It's all right. We just need to take the crash course real quick. I'm going to say it real plainly. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. And God fills us up so that we can pour out. Jesus said, if you drink of me and my living water, that it will become in you like a spring. You know what's crazy about springs? They spring up. They move. There is some action involved. God pours into us. And then the idea is this living water is like a spring flowing out of us. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. We see it all the way back in Genesis with Abraham from whose line the Messiah would come when God says to him in Genesis 12 too, and I will make of you a great nation, Abraham. I'm gonna give to you and I will bless you and make your name great. Abraham, I'm gonna pour into you. Why? So that you will be a blessing. That means that that talent you've got, that treasure you've got, that wealth you've got, awesome, man, thank God for that. Now go use it to be a blessing to somebody. That means that that truth that you're learning about God, that thing where you're just like, oh, it's like a whole dimension of God I never saw before, like a side of the diamond I never saw before, and it's changing and transforming your life, or that fruit of the Spirit that's being produced in your life, that that wasn't just for you, although you should rejoice in that, but that's to benefit those around you. And right there is what leads us to the what. What do we do with the fruit? We share it. We share the fruit. We know where the fruit comes from, the how. We know the purpose, the why. Now what do we do? We start sharing the fruit. Fruit was made for a purpose, and you've got to use it. You know what happens to a fruit tree that doesn't get harvested so that it can be used for its purpose? One of two things. Either the fruit keeps growing, even all big, but it gets all dry and loses its flavor. You ever open an orange like that that's never harvested? It's just like, looks all beautiful and huge on the outside. The peel's all awesome. You peel it off, it's just dry and like dead inside, it looks like. You know what I mean? It's no, no fruitfulness. It loses its flavor. Or the, the fruit starts rotting and molding and then starts affecting the branch that it was growing on. When God pours into you, he intends for you to also pour out if you're going to remain flavorful and alive. You know what's a really simple but sad thing about this story with Jesus and the fig tree? It says in verse 18 that he was hungry. Like, Jesus was hungry. He just wanted a little breakfast, just a little fig tree, just, oh, good, I'm hungry. I'm going to go eat on this fig tree. And this thing that was designed to provide nourishment for him couldn't. Now, if there was ever a time in Israel's history when they were hungry, it was now. It had been 400 years since God had spoken anything to any prophet, since anybody had seen a a sign in Israel from God. And the Roman Empire had come in and they were occupying the land. The religious leaders were preaching this stifling, suffocating, dead religion. 
And the people were coming to them like hungry, spiritually hungry, and they had nothing but leaves to give them. Paul would later write about people like this to Timothy and said, it's like people who have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. The world has plenty of leafy, leafy trees, guys. Nobody needs any more of that. People who have the appearance of godliness but without the power of God actually working through their lives, what the world needs is powerful, fruitful people who have an abiding relationship with Jesus. We all know that Jesus is the bread of life, right? He is the one that the hungry world needs. Somebody say amen. What does the world need? Jesus, okay. But do you know what the Bible says about you? That you are the body of Jesus. That means we are the delivery boys and girls, so to speak, of that bread of life. His blood running through our, our veins. How does it work? We are the body of Christ. That means we're like the veins, his blood running through his veins that transports the nature of who he is. What? Come on. That's good. We're like the blood in Jesus' body transporting the nature of who he is. We are his body, the body of the bread of life. It is through us that the world will experience and partake of Jesus. For throughout history, God has chosen to work not independently of his people, but through his people. What the world needs is powerful, fruitful people who have an abiding relationship with Jesus. And every little glimpse of who God is is like a crumb of eternal bread that people have longed for since they were in their mother's womb. And every time the fruit from our tree makes its way into the lives of one of them, they taste a morsel of who God is. Listen, God is giving you spiritual fruit in your life so that you can share it with those who are hungry. So share it. Share the fruit. And share the light too. I'm going to go three more minutes if you'll listen. I'm not trying to change metaphors on us here. But share the light also. We are living in a lost generation, guys. Americans are so just more lost than ever. Middle Easterners in the Arab Gulf, they are lost. And they're lost because they're in the dark. And what do you need when you're in the dark? The light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What the world needs is Jesus. But then he flips the whole script and says as plain as day, you are the light of the world. Listen, I know we like try to uh, explain this away because it's kind of a gnarly statement Jesus says. It's really powerful. Where he says, you're the light. We try to explain it away by saying, well, Jesus is like the sun and I'm like a moon and I'm reflecting the sun and the people on the earth. They see the sunlight of Jesus and then they give glory to God. They, they, they look at, they, they're like, oh, the sunlight is reflecting off the, that's cute. I get it. I've like, preached it before, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus says, you are the light. You're not just reflecting the light source. The light source is coming from within you. The light is in you. You are, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. I think sometimes we try to minimize who God has made us to be. Listen, Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And then what we do is we stop it right there. Had God intended that verse to stop right there, he would have just stopped right there with a dot, dot, dot. But God did not intend that verse to stop right there because the verse goes on. He says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think 
through the power that is working within us. God does not intend to work independent of us. In spite of us, yeah, for sure. But he intends to do it through us. Listen, you're the light. So be the light. Stop hiding your light. Stop protecting your candle like somebody's going to snuff it out. You know how candles get snuffed out? When you put a bushel over them. No more oxygen. Snuffed out. But you know what happens when you let your candle out? Ain't nobody going to snuff it out. You know what happens when you let a candle out? It starts catching stuff on fire. That's what happens when you let a candle out. So start sharing that light. When you start sharing that light with other not yet lit candles, all of a sudden the dark becomes very, very light. So what do we do? What do we do? You're like, Dom, I get it. I see God's moving in my life. I'm abiding. He's moving. He's bearing fruit. What do I do? I start something. I start some nonprofit. <laughs> what do I do? I start some organization. I start some spreadsheet. I do a thing. Everybody comes. What do I do? Do I go, I go to the Arab Gulf? Yes. Sure, no. I don't know, but here's what I do know. It starts with showing up. It starts with just showing up and opening up. Showing up and opening up. Listen, you are the light of the world. You just showing up brings light. It changes the whole spiritual dynamic of wherever you are. Maybe you're believing God is wanting to do something in your life right now, but you don't, you don't know how to hear him. Dude, just show up to him. Just show up. Turn your phone off. Get somewhere where there's not people. Shut your computer and be still before him and just show up. Just show up and be there. you got to show up and open up. What I mean by open up is become vulnerable before him. Just like before him and before other people. Like, Lord, I'm just going to let my life shine. I'm not, I'm not going to self-preserve right now. I'm going to open up, let my guard down. You are beautiful Listen, you are beautiful, guys. You're beautiful and, like, powerful just the way God made you. You don't have to self-preserve or walk with this mask on. Get out of your head. Get into your heart, a.k.a. let your bushel off so you can let your light shine. Some of you guys are saying right now, listen, dude, God, God is stirring in my heart. Garrett, talk. He's stirring my heart for the nations. What do I do? Well, start by praying. We're meeting after the service right up here to pray for the Arab Gulf. I don't know how to pray. Just show up. Just show up. Some of you are like, God's turning to something else. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. What do I do? Just start crying out to him. Just start crying. I don't know how. Get around other people who are crying out. Come to our Wednesday prayer meetings. Get together with your friends and, and pray. Just start crying out to him. Just show up. Just show up. Letting your light shine doesn't have to be some orchestrated, profound thing. Sometimes it just means showing up and opening up. So here's what we're going to do right now in the second set of worship we're just going to show up with the Lord, okay? We're going to sing some songs. Carpets are available here. If you need to take a posture that kind of helps you do that, that's what I like to do. It helps me. The prayer team is here. If you just need some help, like, hey, God's doing something. I don't know, I don't know what. I don't know how to respond to it, but God's doing something. Just show up. Just, like, just do that. Just do that. And this, right? Like, let down your guard. Just show up. Amen? Amen. Lord, we come to you this morning and we're like, whoa, Lord, you're the, you're the vine. You're the source of all good things. You're the source of all life. So we come to you as such. We recognize that you're the one who has everything that we need. Lord, we recognize you're doing good stuff in our lives. 
And we're excited about that. We rejoice in that. But Lord, we don't want it to stop there. We want to let our fruit be used for the nourishment of those who are hungry. And so, Lord, we ask you to show us what it means to show up in our lives and to show up before you. Lord, we ask that you would show us what it looks like to let that bushel, take that bushel off and let our light shine. And right now, Lord, we want to respond to you. I want to say, all right, Lord, here I am. I, man, you're doing good stuff in my life. I want to respond to that. Or maybe you're just feeling super dry. Like you ain't got no fruit. You ain't got nothing to respond to. Well, respond accordingly with that also. Show up. Just show up and say, Lord, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling jacked and dry and dead even maybe. I don't know what to do. Just show up and be vulnerable before him and say, Lord, here I am. My life's a mess. My life is just bearing no fruit. I'm sad. I'm depressed. Confused. I'm fearful. I'm anxious. Come, Lord. Come, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.